Hey friends, before we dive into the episode, I've got something for healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals, if you're locuming or going to locum, navigating it through multiple agents and agencies can be stressful. Back and forth emails and timesheets aren't needed in this era. What if there was an app where you could see the shift, the total pay, the hours and request to book it there and then? Well there is. Locum's Nest connects healthcare professionals digitally to the NHS staff bank. The app connects already over 50,000 healthcare professionals to vacant work in over 50 NHS trusts and growing. Check it out yourself, that's Locum Nest. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Scrubbed Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another incredible guest. We have with us Dr. Keith Grimes, who, as many of you already know, is a digital health and innovation specialist. And I'm sure a lot of people know about Babylon. He was director of clinical product management there. And since then has been doing a lot of advisory work, you know, commenting, sharing his thoughts, particularly on the transition from clinical medicine to product management and the roles clinicians can do beyond medicine. So it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Keith. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Uh, afternoon to you, Abdul and Ams. Uh, great to see you and uh, great to be presenting today. So I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. Before Amazing. we kind of talk about, you know, the AI, digital health, health tech, all of those weird and wonderful things, we want to kind of take it a bit back and kind of talk about your motivations early on in your career to pursue medicine, to become a clinician. Yeah, yeah, sure. So... <clears throat> I'm getting older now. It's a shame I always consider myself that. But um, so I went to medical school back in 1990, just to sort of set the scenes. Um, I was a child of the 70s and 80s. And um, I was always way more into technology. My earliest memories are watching things like Thunderbirds, if you guys remember it, back on TV and stuff. So I was always well into computers and technology. Um, But I was also quite good at school as well. I was academically did quite well. And as I got closer towards going to university, I had a few things in mind. And medicine was definitely in mind, but I kind of really wanted to write computer games. Um, Because back in those days, it was like uh, the Amiga, the Commodore Amiga was the big thing at the time. And... uh, but I did very well in my exams. Um, and uh, my parents kind of said, well, you got an opportunity to do one or two things. You can do medicine or law. And I was like, well, who wants to be a lawyer? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll pursue the second thing, which was medicine. And, you know, it had been in my mind anyhow and, um, you know, worked towards that. So I was at medical school from 1990 to 1996. Um, and uh, living in Aberdeen at the time, really enjoyed the clinical science side of things really enjoyed really 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 enjoyed it once as well when I got in front of patients as well I think that's what what really convinced me that going and you know sticking within medicine was mm. was going to be fun because I I really just enjoyed that aspect of it too but I always had this kind of real passion for working with technology I was you know I was a total geek and gamer still am and mm. um, I was always trying to sort of find a way to bring that into it and even in the early 90s just as we were starting to get things like the internet and you know cd-roms were starting to come along and everything the, the olden days um <laughs> it was it was it was more limited about how you would get it into to practice but we still tried and so you know my early experience using tech in um medicine was um was basically when I was a junior house officer, so equivalent of foundation officer and uh, or foundation year practice. And at that point, we used to have to. I was on a vascular ward. We'd have to go in and we'd have to write up all the lab tests, you know, all the paper requests the night before the person was having the elective procedure. And I was able to use um, a database to help print that out. And you know, at that point, I was. I suppose that was an indicator of how I was trying to use technology to sort of make my life easier. And just didn't think about asking anyone to do it. Just did it you know because it was i was using tech all the time otherwise and and that was essentially the kind of 
the spirit of how I brought technology and innovation into what I do going forward. You know, I use it everywhere else. Why can't I use it in what I do as a doctor? Mm. Funny enough, we still do the same thing. We still put out the paper requests for blood <laughs> to be done on the day after. So, so nothing's changed on that front, Keith. Oh my uh, word. That's shocking. Yeah. That's, like, that's like 25, 26 years or something like that. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we, we still do that. Um, despite certain aspects of that pathway mm. kind of being digitalized. Tell us a bit more about kind of committing to transitioning out of clinical medicine mm. into the world of tech. And what I'm interested in here is I know it wasn't as prevalent when you were practicing as it is now. Yeah. So tell us how the, the terrain was like back then. Yeah, I mean, well, there was like the way the way to think about it is how it was described so it was just described as it or ict uh mm -hmm. you know so let's think about this so mid 90s junior doctor it was just it um uh, at that point and um everyone sort of recognized the use of it for things like word processing and sort of spreadsheets occasionally and stuff like that but the idea of things being done in a network capacity were much less prevalent as i tried to sort of find a way of doing technology in healthcare there wasn't really any way forward i mean the best that people sort of said is like well they use technology and radiology so why don't you give that a go and <laughs> or anesthetics you know these tests are always on their little you know computers and things so so oddly enough like the direction that i wanted to go was kind of well if they use it there i might go in that direction but along the way um Along the way, I went into, I, I realized my love for sort of generalism. And so it was either kind of emergency, in fact, it was emergency medicine first. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is going to be just the, just the ticket. I really like this kind of generalist approach. But there was this Jeep, I was working in Inverness up in Scotland, and there was this GP that used to cover us in the afternoon. He said, oh, I was away to go to Australia for a year. He said, oh, when you can, well, come back, do GP for a wee bit and see what you think. Because back then, you could kind of make your own GP training. So I went out, did a bit of practice in the UK, went out to Australia for a year, did a bit of everything up in Brisbane. And then when I came back, I was able to just do a tiny bit more work and then do a GP registrar side of things. But again, I, I did that because I was impressed with what the guy said, but it was, it was it was also like, well, where can I go and do some stuff with technology? And even then there was kind of no way and there was no obvious way in of any sort. So I built the practice website back in 20, 2000. Um, I started using early PDAs, you know, Palm Pilot and the stuff oh, yeah. and the like, and then yeah. doing some stuff with JavaScript to um, do some calculations and bits and pieces like that. But again, people sort of thought it was like a kind of a hobby more than anything. And at that point, we were transitioning over to electronic records. Um, general practice has been pretty good in that area, actually. It's been quite advanced compared to the hospital side of things. Mm. And so then I was like, well, how am I going to get into like using technology in the NHS? And it was really hard. There was like, there was a, there was a program uh, for implementation of electronic referrals and discharges up in Scotland. And I only found out about that because I basically made a pest of myself and was asking around saying, well, how do I get into this? How do I do this? Mm. Found someone who got me in as a sort of, pro uh, you know, the product doctor. Yeah. But, you know, I had to kind of make it as I go along. And then when, it, when all that finished up, I came down to England back in 2005, worked in the out of hours service because I was really into out of hours clinical work. And I said, well, I really want to do some technology stuff. And they said, well, that's fine. If you do some clinical governance, we'll mm -hmm. let you work that bit out. So all I ever did was clinical governance, of course, you know, because yeah. there, was, there was no other tech stuff. So again, I tried to bring it in. It was only really about sort of 20, uh, I did some informatics training as a postgraduate diploma as well. Because I was trying to sort of say, well, you know, how do I get into this? But the only way in within the NHS at that point was really sort of getting into the IT side of things, the kind of networks, the boxes, mm. you know, the sort of mm. enterprise level software. You know, there wasn't really much more than that. 
But come 2010 onwards, there was a sort of increasing interest in doing some things, mainly through technologically enabled care services, mostly to do with care homes and social care and remote monitoring, because that was already being done. So I got, I got involved in some of that. And then in the local CCG, they needed someone to work on new innovations. And so once again, I was like, well, I, you know, I, I'll do that. I'll do whatever it is to sort of get into yeah. the techie side of things. Got involved in the kind of the pipes and the boxes, you know, the network stuff, but then did some referral management. And then slowly new stuff started to happen. Yeah. But at this point, I started to get very fed up. I, you know, I was like, I've been a doctor for a while. It was really frustrating me that all this really cool stuff that I was seeing wasn't making it into practice. So I started in my holidays traveling over to America and going to some of the new digital health conferences. Okay. And that, that's when I really got excited by what was going on and um, started to try and bring that in. Hmm. Again, no clear way into it. They started to talk about CCIOs, like Chief Clinical Information Officers, the Digital Health Academy, or the Digital Academy in the NHS was coming up. I started learning more about entrepreneurship, but I probably wouldn't have got out of it all unless I'd got completely burnt out which was mm. another big feature. Like in 2017, mm. I had to take five months off. I was really ill. Oh, wow. I burnt out really badly and was, was really depressed, anxious, the whole shooting match, and I had to take time off. And in retrospect, it was probably because I was trying to do lots of other things to get out and do what I really want to do, which is what I'm doing now. But there was mm. no obvious way. So I paid the price, kind of recovered, and then when I came back, I said, no, I've really got to get out of it. At which point, Babylon came knocking. Nice. I've been given some talks about using VR. And at that point, the network effect came in, got into Babylon, the rest is history. Oh, wow. Amazing. So I can sense the ongoing frustration mm. towards the end of that clinical practice of seeing things. Thank you for coming back. Having been to Australia and America, I'm going to say yeah, that on behalf yeah, yeah, yeah. of everyone listening. Um, but clearly, you can see the frustrations. And I think, like you said, you would never expect someone like you from what we see online and the work you've done that you had burnout, you did have to take yeah, time it off. Terrible. It just goes to show, you know, you know, there's more behind the scenes. So you joined Babylon, I believe, 2018. Yeah. And then it became a rocket ship. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. gone on to do incredible things. Tell us how you felt. So you're frustrated and all of a sudden you have this opportunity. You're now doing something a bit more in, in, aligned with your innate personality and yeah. traits. Was it a sigh of relief? Tell us a bit more about that, that, that feeling. Um... It was, it was amazing. I won't, I won't lie. It was fantastic. You know, I'd gone from this sort of situation to working in a rapidly growing scale up, you know, I, Babylon had done a lot of good work beforehand. And mm. so I joined when it was on this trajectory, but it, I came on when it was growing really fast. And I remember, um, we used to do this thing at a stand up, you know, a weekly stand up. And when we were smaller, we would all stand up and Ali would be there and he would introduce all the new people. And, uh, I joined on the day I joined, there was about eight or nine people joining. And I stood up and I said, you know, this is like, it's taken me 28 years to find this place, you know, because <laughs> oh, wow. 1990 medical school to 2018, yeah. like 28 years to find my tribe. I was like, I finally found people uh, that are trying to do stuff that I want to do. So I was delighted. And, and, um, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, um, it's a fast growing, exciting place. So, you know, I often yeah. joke that, you know, when I joined Babylon, as compared to when I was working in general practice, I could go to the toilet whenever I wanted to, like I didn't have to sort of hold on till the end of the clinic. And, and, uh, there was always tea and coffee. In fact, there was always loads of stuff, yeah. you know? So I was, I was really delighted just by that. But, but the thing that was most exciting was this kind of attitude towards being able to positively fix things. And I was mm. working mm -hmm. alongside like really brilliant other people, engineers, designers, product managers, user researchers, other doctors, commercial people, you know, 
and so in some ways it was kind of like starting university again I, I sort of met some people and I was like right I've got to work out what I need to do here um, and I've got to work with other doctors who are coming on who are equally a little bit confused as to what's going on and we can build something but we're in a place where people are willing to go for it and that was really really refreshing um, but at the same time um, I was a doctor coming from the NHS into industry and mm. that's quite a transition you know if you're a if you're a doctor that's been working or anyone who's working in the NHS, you'll quite often only think of healthcare as only being provided in that form. In fact, you often tie your value as a doctor to being in the NHS, as in, you know, outside the NHS, how could you even be a doctor outside the mm. NHS because you don't have any mm. other experience? And of course, that's kind of a bogus thing. Mm. But it takes a little while. It took me a little while to kind of wrap my head around it that, yeah, I'm still a doctor. Yeah, I'm still doing this, just in a different place. So a big thing that I tried to do when I was at Babylon is, is help people make that transition to help say, you know, you're going to start feeling a bit weird at this point. That's okay. <laughs> you know, and, and helping people through that point. Um, that was a big thing is that there's, there's, there's a mind change. Maybe it's less if you're working outside the NHS, but mm. certainly in the NHS see it time and time again. So anyone who's making that transition, you know, you may have a few existential moments, but you know, that'll pass. Um, Keith, mm. I want to explore one thing before we move on here. So taking a step back now, talking about how, how you feel now and it's all, you love what you're doing, you found your tribe, right? It's taken you a while to get there. Mm. You talked about doing loads and loads of different things, having loads and loads of different roles, and then burning out. Now, two questions at this point. Mm. One is, how would you suggest people go about finding their tribe if you went through so many different things, took on so many different roles, and it led to burnout? Mm. And the second question is, if you could go back to yourself, your your 18-year-old self, and you could give some tips on how to get to where you are now quicker and find your tribe quicker, what would you advise? Crikey. Well, that's an interesting one. Okay, well, in some ways, I'm grateful for the path that it took because I've my, – my, my hope – and sorry, my dog's woofing in the background. But, but um, <laughs> I think my real hope is that people going to medical school – or doctors training now or any healthcare professional now might be able to say, you know what, I want to be a digital doctor. I want to work in this particular space. Mm. And not only will they have some training in undergraduate, but I really dream of a time that there'll be a specialism within medicine. So I, you know, I believe that I and other doctors like me are part of this kind of evolution of doctors who practice their medicine, not through the patients that they see or the pills they prescribe, but through the products that they build. Mm. You sort of think about public health. It's a wee bit like that. You know, I'm, I'm practicing my medicine at, at scale through the things mm. that I do. But what I want is I want, I want for me and for everyone that kind of comes along alongside me or behind me to have this nice and clear. So they don't have to wait 28 years, yeah. you know, like I have some advantages through the experience that I've had. There's, there's some positives about it, mm. but I still think it was a long time to wait. And, and, and I'm, I could have avoided some of that distress along the way and, and, and burnout. Um, so we can maybe talk a little bit about the ways into it and my thoughts on that in a moment. But if we just say, that's what I want, nice and clear way for people to move on. And uh, there's different things we can talk about there. If I went back to when I was 18, um, there was an opportunity, oddly enough, uh, in the first dot-com, like 2000. Actually, some doctors started to sort of split off and work. Their, they, they, they found it very difficult to sort of stay in medicine as well. They basically had to leave completely. Mm. Um, I sometimes wonder about if I had been a bit more bold at that time, whether 
which way it would have gone. Like, I, I don't know whether that would have been great advice, um, mm. but I might have been a bit more bold about it um, to see. Of course, dot .com <laughs> blew yeah. up anyway, but, 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 <laughs> um, but it would have been an interesting way into it. And I think the other bit of advice I would say is if you're working as a doctor and there's something inside you saying that this isn't truly what you need to be doing, don't ignore it. <laughs> mm. Like, like talk about it. I mean, it, you may be able to resolve it, but I just stuffed it down for a mm. bunch of time. And, and, and it's not really surprising that I burnt out because I was kind of like not dealing with it. And then at some point my body was like, no, nah, bugger this, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to make you listen. Yeah. So I'd, I'd maybe say that as well as say, like, really think about what it is that brings you joy. And if what you're doing right now isn't doing that, just, you know, don't ignore it. No, ab absolutely. No. And and talking a little bit now. So now the doctors who are now listening to that voice within themselves. Right. You just said a while ago about that. Mm. We tie our values to being a clinical doctor within the NHS, the idea of moving elsewhere, yeah. right? Before even thinking about applying for that job or networking with that person, the first thing is, hold on a minute, I'm going to have to leave. And then we often, what, what often everyone does is they'll start locoming first and then they'll drop two, what, two days and then yeah. one day. And then it's like, it's nearly impossible. Like, how can I move across? Um, and then, all the perks mm. that the NHS does provide in the, in the sense that there is job security, you can get a locum job anywhere in the country pretty much. So there is that financial yeah. stability whilst in industry, I'm not sure that's, that's a given. When you advise people about yeah, getting over that, what are some of the most common uh, ways you support people get past that, get through that when they've sort of made the leap? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing to say is where we are right now, there are some more supported routes out um mm. and, and, and i want to be clear I, I i really dream of a world where people don't have to get out of the nhs yeah. to pursue this you know we need to find a way to people to pursue it inside it too absolutely but while that's being worked out yeah while, whilst that's being worked out let's sort of think of a few things well, well number one there are ways you know you can you can do locum work i mean the question then is like well then the time that you're not being a locum how are you kind of getting into health you know how are you getting into health tech um yeah. is the other question but the other one is like there's fellowships as well. There's lots of different fellowships out there. If you look at there's a clinical AI fellowship. I'm talking specifically in England here, mm. uh, but there's the Topol fellowship. There's a clinical entrepreneur program. There's a lot of yep. there's a lot of ways in which you can kind of continue to work in a kind of predictable way, but start to get the knowledge and skills and experience and contacts to move out. So that's number one. And then when I speak to some consultant colleague friends, they say, oh, they offer quite a lot because of the difficulties in recruiting. They offer quite a lot of flexible working. So people can sort of be paid a full-time salary, but actually work, you know, two-thirds time or three-quarters time and then spend the rest of the time pursuing something else. So so that that, that might be one way into it. Or you can do locum work, of course. It, that, that suits mm -hmm. GPs quite well, actually. GP locum works pretty good in that regard. Um, and then what you can do is you can there's there's different ways in which you sort of connect to the wider network and so in part um there's um uh really good there's a few there's a few online resources as well and so the, the one that got me into this side of things was doctorpreneurs um mm -hmm. and doctorpreneurs was set up back in i think it was about 2014 15 or something like that with claire Novarol from ada uh vishal varani and um uh, Avi Mecher, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Avi, Avi did that as well. I think I, I may have missed some people in there, but mm. but um, 
that was when I realized that you could take a wee bit more command over what was going on. So there's a good network there and opportunities. Um, and then recently, um, uh, Byte Labs started yeah. out as well. And Byte Labs mm -hmm. is another interesting way, which is an eight week long course that's sort of done in the evening once a week and uh, a wee project that takes you through all the basics of what you need to know to practice in in the health tech space and uh, that's another good way into it um i still think that we're lacking a really good sort of single kind of sort of network or social space where we can all get together but but that's coming i think you know mm. you have to sort of connect with a few people so i spend a lot of time people reach out to me because like i said i live online um yeah. And I'm happy. To, I'm, I'm happy to direct and connect people too. But we, we, we kind of need as a group to kind of do a better job of it, so people mm. don't have to hunt around so much. But but yeah, yeah, that's one way. No, definitely. And I do think we are getting there. It's 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 on our roadmap, which we'll probably share at some point. I agree with kind of allowing clinicians to scratch that itch per se while being a clinician you know, maybe there is a rotation in, you know, when they're doing house training, foundation training to do digital health and innovation. To kind of paint the picture a bit more and give it an, an insight, tell us a bit more about the role you did at Babylon, mm -hmm. a clinical product manager. Yeah, I feel people are more familiar with what it is, but still don't know what it actually is. Yeah, okay. So when I came into Babylon, I was kind of brought in as a person that kind of had a lot of, sort of skills and experience and could just work out what we did when we got in. You know, I was brought in to sort of work with um, some of the more junior doctors because what they had is something called a clinical AI fellowship. And at the time, Babylon was offering this one-year fellowship where you'd come on board and you'd be embedded with a product team uh, and you'd learn by doing, basically. You know, mm -hmm. be working on the symptom checker or the other products too. And that was that was awesome, you know. Um, so I got to work with that group. We stopped, put together a curriculum to sort of help teach people the basics of um, – you know, fill in the gaps that they might need to know, but most of it was learned by doing and working alongside um, other people as well. Um, I moved into sort of directing that it was called the Guild. It was the Clinical AI and the Digital Health Guild. So I did that for a while. And then in the year before I left Babylon, I was getting more and more interested in like the world of product and product management. And, mm. and, and product management is one of these ones that's terribly difficult to explain uh, beyond the fact that <laughs> as a product manager, your role is to identify the end user's problems and, you know, craft a solution to that particular problem. Um, and that may seem like a very sort of simple description, but it's devilishly hard and actually contrary to how a lot of people work. Um, so it's a combination of understanding the market and the commercial side of things, understanding what technology is out there, spending a lot of time understanding the, the, the problems that your end users face. Who are your end users? Who are your yeah. customers? Who are the um, who are the people that pay for this? Yeah. Um, identifying what things you know what, what what the core features of the problem that you might want to try and solve doing some discovery and development work over that working with engineers and designers to make sure that this is feasible uh that it is usable um that it generates value because when when you work actually whether you're working in industry or not you know this has to deliver value somewhere mm. and that it's viable in the long term that you, can, you know keep this all going so you're juggling quite a lot of things as a product manager and what's really interesting about it as well is that you're not directly in charge of anyone either like you're not line managing anyone so a lot of this mm. comes down to coordination and influence and you know storytelling it's um it's a brilliant role to have and it's not surprising that people when going go into health tech they start to think oh i'd really be like to be involved in that mm. um and so 
in Babylon, we had our clinical subject matter experts, your doctors and nurses or whatever, working embedded in a product team. And this product team would be dedicated towards building out a particular feature in a product or a product itself. Mm. Um, so you'd have a product manager, you'd have some engineers, designers, that kind of thing, some scientists, and you'd be providing the clinical subject matter expertise. And if it's a product that's working in a clinical space, you might call it a clinical product. Mm -hmm. the, the bit that I got interested in is about, well, what happens if you take a clinician and make them a product manager? Because what mm -hmm. we had is we had a sort of subject matter expert alongside a product manager. And that's good. You know, you get lots of great expertise, but it also doesn't work sometimes because the product manager doesn't quite get to know everything about the domain because they can always go to the subject matter expert. And the subject matter expert, the clinician in this case, doesn't quite have to bend as much the other way. Like they say, well, I'm here for the clinical subject matter expertise, and this is what it has to be medically, and then you work out the rest. Hmm. Now, that's a, that's a very bad example of what might happen. <laughs> but even if you come closer together, you have this bit of to and fro, um, and it can work very well. But, but my thinking was, well, actually, sometimes you might want to just have a clinician who is the product manager. And in that yeah. way, they, they have all that clinical expertise, um, but you're asking them to be the product manager. And what happens then is that you've taught, a, let's say you've taught a doctor, doctor to become a product manager and they're, and they're working in that area. You're getting them to work as a product manager. So they're having to identify the problem, look at the solutions, speak to all the different stakeholders, balance all the requirements, including the clinical requirements, but they're being responsible to balance them all. So all of a sudden you become much more kind of, you know, equitable about where the weight is, but at the same time, because you are a doctor, there are some lines that you know deep down inside you that you can't cross. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. describe them as the landmines and the cliff edges, which means that you can move faster because you need to try and move fast and iterate. You have to be confident to do that, but you know at which point you go, hang on a second, right now, this is an area that we do need to pause or get some other things in. Yeah. And so, so that's what I was um, exploring. And I think in some circumstances, having a clinician as a product manager is a very valuable thing, particularly in high-risk products um, and if you're trying to move quickly. But at the same time, a clinician as a product manager can sometimes be maybe a little bit more expensive. So yeah, something that the, the startups have to bear in mind. No, definitely. I think you described it very well concisely and it just makes sense. And I think initially you know, as the, as the, the space was emerging, it made sense to have it as separate. And as, as mm. time goes on, clearly like yourself, you've proven where it does make sense to have the clinician also being the product manager. Having spent, you know, just over four years at Babylon as part of, you know, the immense growth, just some advice. So, you know, we've noticed a lot of health tech companies coming up, spinning, and then after a while, they kind of die down, they struggle to commercialize, they struggle to secure kind of those partnerships. Yeah. What are some of the barriers you think as to why some of these health tech companies are failing or struggling to do and how can they overcome them? I think, um, yeah, it's a, well, I mean, that's a, that's the kind of million dollar or the million course, pound yeah. question, isn't it? But, 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 you know, maybe some, some thoughts of, at least of mine, um, mm. that, that might help in that situation. I think, um, first of all, um, the answers don't necessarily have to come from a doctor or a physio or anything. There doesn't have to be, you know, these solutions don't have to come from the current people in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. But you're crazy if you try and make any changes without involving them at some point. And, and my argument would be, or my suggestion would be that the sooner you can get 
um, a healthcare professional working with you or alongside you in the work that you do, the better. I think that's, um, I, I mean, I, I feel that very strongly. I believe there's evidence of that out there. Part of the work that I'm going to be doing going forward is trying to provide that kind of hard evidence base, mm -hmm. because no matter how intuitive this makes sense, and it, and it does kind of make sense if you're a clinician, you're like, well, of course this makes sense, you know, um, but it's not generally accepted that that's necessary. In fact, sometimes people think, well, actually, we're part of the problem, and actually, we shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't really be in there. And and it is true that if we've been brought up in the system, um, it can be difficult for us to conceive of solutions that aren't in some way shaped by that. You know, we can't think yeah. as Outside widely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's really important, too. So I think the best way to balance it is that is, is, you, is you have someone who is from the healthcare system working with people that maybe aren't or have a, some background in there, but hold on to their experience kind of lightly or humbly, you know, that mm. it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way and, and constantly question yourself. I think that's really important. So generating that kind of mindset, It'd be wonderful if we could teach things like product management at medical school, yeah. you know, uh, design, you know, uh, design led thinking, that, 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 that kind of stuff. It, it would be brilliant for medicine. <laughs> for yeah. a start. You know, I often think about, you know, as a product manager, how would I manage a patient? You know, uh, what's my MVP with them? But mm. um, yeah, it's, it's about getting that in. I think that's really important. Without mm. that, um, a person can go quite a long way. And then realize, oh crikey, I've built something that's not going to work. A fun, <laughs> yeah. Something that a, something that a nurse could say immediately, that's just not going to work. Yeah. So getting them in in some form is really really important. And and this is where this is where I think the routine for people like us, you know, yeah. wanting to get into that space is how we do it, how we do it, and get paid along the way. These are important things. Hmm. But um, yeah, that that that's in some ways that's kind of what I did informally yeah. by going out and just speaking to folk. Um, mm. So don't underestimate the power of that too. On that front, um, Keith, of uh, talking to people, right? It's a scary thing, networking, right? A lot of people think networking, what does that mean? Do it I is. just randomly go up to someone and say, hey, where do you work? Do you mind uh, letting me just shadow you for a week? But it's not as easy as that. And opportunities don't come like that. What does it mean in your books? How would yeah. you advise people go about connecting with each other? What's your tips and tricks on that? Yeah. Um, the first thing is go into it with a kind of generous sort of spirit as well. Like if you network thinking of yourself, it's never going to work. You think mm. about the other people, be interested in the people that you be genuinely interested in the people that you're meeting, listen to what they've got to say, learn from this, and then be generous with your time as well, because you've got some expertise um, that you may think very little of because it's you know just what you know. Um, I think that would be the first thing is a sort of generous spirit to that and just going along. There's um, the opportunities to go to events, you know, mm. within the NHS, outside the NHS, there's always um, events on health tech that you'll see advertised online, um, even in your locality or in, in your um, hospital, if you're still working within hospitals or something like that, there'll be opportunities to go along uh, to speak to people. And you don't, you, the first part of networking, you don't have to say a thing. <laughs> you just turn up and, yeah. and be there and see who's there and, and listen to what's going on and start sort of filling your head um, and letting, letting the sort of knowledge and the connection start to form. Then you'll go to another one and then you'll see someone else and you'll be like, oh yes, you know, you're there, you're there. And then you lay on top of that social media being nicely connected on social media. So for preference, I use Twitter and LinkedIn, but there's many other ways, you know, I, I, I'm not, not so good on TikTok, for example, but there's a, there's a growing group of people uh, working in that area. Um, 
you know, just and then contribute and comment. And, mm. and what will happen off that is that you'll, you know, you'll start to people will start to recognize that you've got something interesting to say, whatever that is. Um, you'll start learning along the way. And then from that, I think things will organically arise. Yeah. Right? Mm. And that's maybe mm. where the networking comes from. Uh, and I think uh, Vishal was talking about this at Byte Labs recently, I think about, you know, kind of generosity. It's like, you know, don't go in there. If, if you go in there thinking that you're trying to sell something and then you're worried about that you have, what value you're generating, then you're going to end up sort of tongue-tied. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Get in there, meet some folk. And then... Yeah. Um, and see how it goes. And then, and then you'll find your wee groups and then you'll see someone at the next event and so on, or you'll message someone, goes from there. And just on the front of now, you talked about social media and contributing now. Now, here's an interesting space for me and Abdul particularly because we're trying to get more and more professionals into this game mm-hmm. of contributing, sharing whenever there are any event about what they're learning, sharing it with other people and getting into discussion, debate mm-hmm. and forming opportunities themselves. Talk to us about the importance of not just being a sort of a, a consumer on these social media apps, not just sitting down and actually tapping into, hold on a minute, I went to that health tech event or I went to that particular conference and you know what, I should actually tell the world about what I've learned. Tell us a little bit about yeah. how important yeah. it is to share. Well, it's, it's, it's really important and, you know, by, by doing this and contributing, we elevate our understanding of this rapidly growing space um, and... But but I also recognize that it's not an easy thing for some people to do, you know, like mm. I'm quite comfy speaking to folk, you know, but, but some people may be less so. And then it's the same on social media, particularly if you're more junior in your career, you may think, well, you know, like a, get a wee bit of imposter syndrome, which which never fully goes away. I hasten to add, you, 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 mm. you always get you always get it if you move into <laughs> new things. Mm. So I would say I would say. Um, contribute to the level at which you feel comfortable at this particular point, even if it's just like liking and retweeting or boosting posts or sharing content or, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is a starter for 10, like be a nice customer, like be a nice consumer, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so for, for what you guys are doing, like sharing, liking, boosting, reviewing, all those sort of things, really important from that. You can then reply or comment on things or just, just ask questions and doing so in a nice sort of, polite professional manner you know you don't have to be stuffy but you know you know don't just go swinging in with like some total hot nasty take on something you know just get in there get involved um and um you know tag people in and so you can slowly start sort of creating content but in small chunks and then thereafter you can sort of work with people or you can start posting slightly longer form content Mm. or recording audio podcast for example or recording video or Mm. or whatever it is uh, and then before you know it, you're sort of, you've got your little corner of content creation that, that, that is very kind of natural to what you do. It's kind of consistent and you maintain your authentic voice, which is really important because people really respond to this authenticity. Um, yeah, that's maybe the way in, I'd say. And that way you don't have to worry about immediately sort of doing some, you know, 800 word post on LinkedIn <laughs> or something. People never read those posts anyway. Yeah. You know, keep, keep it light. No, definitely. I think, um, that's some great advice for people entering the world of content creation, entering the, the health tech space. Going back to kind of your time at Babylon, and I, I saw you, you you had a post and you kind of moved away. Tell us about jumping off the rocket ship, as you describe, mm. and kind of venturing out on your own per se. Uh, yeah. Why did you do that? Why didn't you stick around? And what are you doing now? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it was tough. Um, like, 
I've been at Babylon four and a half years when I left. And, you know, in part I left because because the sort of changing market situation, Babylon was a company that was growing very, very fast, but it requires, you know, access to funding quite easily yeah. to do so. And as that changed for a lot of people, it meant that they would change their focus from one area to more mm. of other areas. And so, um, you know, I'm not sharing anything terribly secretive here. You know, this is Babylon would be serving its con the, the contracts that it's sort of, um, built up in the US and so on. And so that meant that they would slow down some of the work in some of the areas mm. that I was working in. And there's this opportunity for me to sort of like move back towards more clinical practice. But, you know, I'm all in on digital health now as mm. well. And, mm. and so I had an opportunity at that point to go, well, I can strike out on my own and try the next thing. Mm. Um, or I can continue to stay on in here. And at that point, I thought, well, it's maybe time for me to strike out and uh, strike out on, you know, my new thing. Um, what I realized was um, I really, like we're talking about networking, I really enjoy the networking. I really enjoy speaking to folk and sharing mm. ideas and, and so on. And when I was in Babylon, because it was a company and then it was a publicly listed company, the ability to be able to, be able to do that as freely as you want is mm. you know, naturally curtailed a little bit because you're yeah. working at a publicly listed company. So I poured a lot of my energy inwards. So I had like, I was really kind of involved internally. But mm. what happened when I left Babylon is I realized that all of them like, well, I can just speak to who I want, <laughs> speak yeah. to who I want now, I do what I want within reason, you know. And so I really re-engaged again. And nice. I have to say, I'm like, regardless of what else I'm doing, I'm just, I'm loving that. I'm Perfect. loving like hearing from people, meeting people, like getting a good understanding. I suppose it's the product manager mindset now. All of a sudden, like, when people post on social media, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a really great problem to try and solve. <laughs> you know? um, so I quite like that side of things. And then, um, and then as I tried to work out what happened next, I, did a bit, I went back and did a bit more GP work again while I was thinking about things. Spent a bit of time really meditating on, like, what is my mission? What is my why? You know, mm. Why do I do any of these things? What do I really want to do going forward? And I, I realized that if, you know, simply put, my why is that, you know, I get up every day working towards a point that every person on earth gets the care they need based care based on need and not the ability to pay, right? Okay, so NHS principle for the world. I, I want that, mm. right? Mm. Um, I'm not going to talk about how it's funded. I'm just going to say that I, I want people not to have to worry about it and get great care, okay? Now, right now, 50% of the world doesn't get great care, doesn't get any care, right? So how can you go from here to there? So I think, well, the only way to do that is automation. That's the, literally the only way to solve this problem. And that means automating or augmenting the existing workforce, if you think about that, we need health tech organizations and health systems to build these automations. They're going to need healthcare professionals to work with them. I am one of those healthcare professionals. I can help them do this better. And if we can improve how we work together, we can yeah. get to the end point faster. So that is what I do now. I work about getting to that end point faster, helping companies get access and understand how to use clinical subject matter experts, part one. Part two, help clinical subject matter experts work better with companies. And then part three, do my bit and actually do that work as well. And mm. doing all those things, I'm moving in the right direction. So I set up my consultancy, Curistica. Um, mm. And within that, I'm, I just, <laughs> I'm a kind of generalist. I'm a digital health and innovation generalist. And I help companies and people understand how to take these ideas, turn them into something truly impactful and actually get out there and deliver them. That's, that's what I do.
No, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I like the way you use your guiding principle of why you do it mm. to, to move forward. Conscious of time. And the last question is you essentially went from an intrapreneur to an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that transition because all of a sudden you leave this kind of massive publicly listed company and you're out to kind of fend for yourselves, right? Mm -hmm. You're out there, you know, you're networking, you're trying to generate revenue, you're trying to give value. Tell us about that shift. Yeah. It's, um, the first thing to say is if you're a doctor doing this and you've maintained your license to practice, a lot of the fear goes away <laughs> because all of a sudden you're just like, you know what, if really things aren't picking up, I'll go and do some shifts. Oh, yeah. um, I, you know, we can speak another time about, you know, hanging up your stethoscope or not. That's another yeah. thing, but you know, I, I continue to do that side of things. So, so that made things a little bit easier. The, the next thing was um, all of a sudden, it's a little bit like one of those, you know, those menus you get, which have just got like a thousand photos oh, of different food. It's I like, you know, it. you got like, yeah, exactly. And you, I, that's right. You hate it, but you got like order anything under the sun. You're like, oh, I, I, so what am I going to order now? It's a silly sort of metaphor, but actually in part, once you come out, all of a sudden you're like, well, I know all these things I can do. I, what am I going to do? And you can approach that by literally chase, like seeing what people approach you for. Like mm -hmm. people come to you and say, can you, I want you to do this. That's fine. Um, or you could spend a bit of time and think, well, what do I want to do? And turn that menu from a very, very sort of like sheets of A4 into something slightly narrower. You spend a wee bit of time thinking about, look, what, what do I really want? Like I, I, I literally wrote down like my vision, my mission, my values, my why, my how, my what, according to like all these things. I, I took a couple of weeks off and my wife and I went to South Africa. Nice. And while I was there, I sort of jot these things down, read a few books. And now I've got that. So that menu is still pretty broad, but it's yeah. that wee bit narrower. Mm. And so I've got a little bit more headspace now to, to try and pick my way to what happens next. But it's a, it's a little bit, it, it's, it's, a, it's really exciting. Yeah. Right? It's really fun. Um, but um, it can be a wee bit overwhelming too. So to that end, I make sure that I continue to speak to friends and other members of the sort of wider ex Babylon network and, mm. you know, and other people too, because we're all, we're all learning um, and ultimately we'll have a much clearer way into things. But for now, keep networking, keep sharing, you know, because mm. learn everything every day. And that's, that, that's the other great thing about it is that I'm still learning stuff and that's magic. No, definitely. And thank you for sharing that because. I have a feeling a lot of people similar to you kind of work for these health tech companies and then will want to spin out and do their own thing. Even, mm. you know, even from humor, we had kind of a surgery hero they met there and they spinned out and did their own startup. And it's that transition from clinician to health tech, digital health, entrepreneur, becoming a founder down the well, entrepreneurship route. Yeah, of course, there's lots of, um, there's uh, entrepreneur first and there's, there's all sorts of different ways into it too. Mm. You know, there's, I'm excited for people that are listening to this because, you know, it's kind of scary and stuff. But the, the biggest thing that I got when I made this change was like, thank crikey. I'm just like, I've now got control. I, 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 I can do what I want. Now, the freedom to do what you want comes with the responsibility to think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you do have to pause a little bit and speak to people. And sometimes getting coaching, I've got a great coach um, who kind of helps take some of these thoughts out the way. Um, but you know, you're free to explore. And that's mm. just awesome. No, I think 
that is the perfect ending to this. I wish we had more time to talk about your career, but we covered some key points and I know a lot of our listeners will be interested to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Massive thank you, Keith, for taking the time out. I know you're super busy and a massive thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much.